Hi, friends, Exponential Community. Welcome. We're so glad to have you here for our second episode of Healthy Rhythms for Thriving Leaders. My name is Carrie Latticer, and I get to pastor at Community Christian Church and am founder of New Ground Network. And I'm joined with my co-host, uh, Dr. Winfield Bevins. Those of you that joined us last week are familiar with him, but I just want to let you know uh, he's an author and a teacher who is passionate about helping leaders thrive by promoting healthy rhythms that connect both spiritual and missional practices. He's the director of church planting at Asbury Theological Seminary and co-founder of Mission Formation Coaching. Uh, as a seasoned practitioner and coach, he frequently speaks at conferences and churches, seminaries on a variety of topics, and he is also an author, uh, most recently of the soon-to-be-released Healthy Rhythms for Thriving Leaders book. Winfield, it's a privilege to get to host these times with you. It's great to be here with you. It's uh, just really having a lot of fun just talking about this important topic, uh, how we can kind of come alongside and support leaders kind of during these challenging times. And so excited about today's episode. Uh, excited to have Judd with us today. So thanks yeah. for the introduction there. Totally. We're we're thrilled to have Judd Wilhite joining us as a special guest. Most of you are probably familiar with him, but I just want to let you know, he serves as the senior pastor of Central Christian Church. Um, after becoming a person of faith, Judd went on to graduate from Dallas Christian College and Lincoln Christian Seminary. He's a frequent conference speaker, author of several books as well. And he serves as a spiritual pastor, uh, or the senior pastor and spiritual leader of Central Christian, both the primary Bible teacher and then the communicator of the mission, vision, and values at Central. Judd, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Honored to be with you. Yeah. Uh, we're really excited to dive into this topic over the next several weeks, just recognizing so many leaders are facing such a wide variety of challenges right now. Pastors are navigating uncharted territory in so many ways, and you know, some facing spiritual burnout. And Judd, I know healthy rhythms and thriving leadership is really key for how you lead, uh, leading one of the most influential churches in the country, but also having your own kind of journey as you have this huge capacity for leadership, but um, navigated through sort of a near burnout experience, right? Give us some of your story about why this matters to you. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, we all wrestle with fatigue and, and seasons of weariness, but um, burnout is kind of, for me, at least it's, it's another thing. It's another level. And it's, uh, it's sort of a terrifying level, I think, in all honesty. Tom Patterson's the life coaching guru says that when people burn out in one career, they're rarely able to come back and work in that career again. So if you burn out, you know, the potential is you're done and, uh, you, and you don't really go back together in the same way. And I would say for me, you know, ministry, I knew all the threats, you know, it's almost cliche, the burnout story, right? We, we you know, we all kind of have our, our fatigue or near burnout story, or many of us do and can feel cliche. And I sort of had heard a lot of those thanks to some great leaders kind of, uh, walking into ministry and serving in ministry, but I feel like ministry is like the frog, the frog in the kettle, and the heat just slowly gets turned up, turned up, turned up, and you don't really realize uh, what's happening until uh, the consequences can be devastating. So for me, just real briefly, I, I went through several cycles over 27 years as a pastor where I was tired. And um, where I was burning pretty hot and I would have little red flag moments. I can remember when my daughter was little, her looking at me and saying, you know, daddy, what are you doing home? 
I said, well, what do you mean? I live here. And I was joking. And she goes, the sun's up. You're never home. The sun's up. You know, there's a red flag moment. I remember walking past my, my wife being on a phone call with a dear friend of hers. And I wasn't eavesdropping. I was just walking down the hall. Uh, I, that's my story to this day. And I'm sticking to it. And I, you know, I heard her say, like, I just feel like a single mom. And, you know, it's kind of a moment for me of like, these were little checks along the way, but I still went back to the same cycle, frog in the kettle. I'd make some changes, but then slowly that heat would get turned up. And uh, about 10 years ago, I, I think it just finally came to a head and was very numb emotionally. I remember we did this huge baptism experience and there were all these people being baptized and staff were out there. And, you know, that was really what usually fired me up the most, seeing life change. And I remember getting in my car and just driving away. And all these people are still there getting baptized. And you know, I just, I remember just knowing like something was seriously wrong in my heart. I'm just emotionally numb. Mm -hmm. and, um, I think for me, what was really helpful was to, you know, I went to our board of directors and I was honest with them. I said, look, I haven't committed a moral failure uh, other than my usual selfish punk behavior. I haven't done anything that, would, that I know of that would disqualify me. Uh, from ministry, but I'm probably closer than I realize. And um, that started a great conversation. I got some counseling. I jumped through um, a lot of different hoops. And one of the most powerful things I learned in that moment was the pace you run at is important, but the weight that you carry at the pace that you run is what I think really contributes to burnout. And we can unpack that a little bit. I had to do some real hard work because what I was carrying in my heart was actually getting in the way of so many things. So we can talk through some of that, but that's sort of my story. I would say I didn't fully burn out. My, my counselor would say I didn't hit the wall head on, but if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, at the Daytona 500 or whatever, he goes, you hit the wall pretty good from the side. Mm -hmm. And, and I would say it took me uh, 18 months after I basically made radical changes to my calendar before I felt anything again about ministry, I just had to grind it out. I remember the Saturday morning I woke up after 18 months because I wondered if I would ever be the same again, if I would able to still be to pastor, which I'd always loved. And I remember waking up and thinking it was Saturday. We, we did Saturday night services. I just thought, I, I can't wait to get to church tonight. And, you know, that was the first time in years that I had had that sort of experience. So that was that was huge for me. It was a journey to get back there. But it's been amazing. I will say I'm not who I used to be. I'm about, I don't know, 85, 90% capacity of what I used to be. It did break some things in me. Mm -hmm. And my care factor <laughs> for all the things I used to care about, whatever it was, success or conferences or building your brand or all that went to like negative 10 so maybe that's healthy, but, um, you know, it did change me. Anyway, I'll stop talking. Well, I mean, it sounds like God really reoriented some things in your life. And in fact, maybe you cared about some things previously that you didn't like your state of your own heart. And, you know, yeah. it was a reorientation in a lot of ways. Winfield, I'm sure you see this type of stuff with pastors and leaders often. Talk to us about the difference between sort of reactive rhythms, which I think all of us have felt the water get heated up more and more the last 10, 11 months or so, and proactive rhythms. Like, what does it look like for us to pursue some proactive rhythms when it comes to healthy rhythms versus just reactive? Yeah, no, that's actually a good way to frame it because 
you know, kind of what Judd explained is oftentimes leaders, uh, you know, they'll see these little warning signs and it's kind of like a marriage. Um, oftentimes couples after years of dysfunction uh, will seek counseling after someone has a moral failure or, you know, they're, they hate each other at that point or, the, you know, the, it's, it's almost imperable. And I, I think one of the things we really want to get across is, hey, maybe you aren't in the midst of burnout right now, but as you are experiencing fatigue and just, you know, we're going through, you know, there's a term that's called collective trauma as a society. You know, there are issues that we're all going through together. And because we're in the midst of this, we don't know what the outcomes are going to be. And so I think I like that idea of kind of reactive, you know, versus proactive. And if we can be proactive with establishing kind of healthy rhythms, patterns, you know, in our daily lives that will help protect us from reaching that point of burnout. And that's, you know, thank, thankfully, uh, you know, as you just shared in your story, you know, God was able to kind of bring you back from the edge of the cliff and you were able to stay in ministry so many leaders that actually pastors, um, church planters that reach that actual point, they just end up leaving the ministry um, because it's so devastating and, and they, they never end up going back in. And so I think really what we want to do is encourage what are some proactive rhythms that you can kind of put into your daily rhythms, your weekly annual rhythms that will help protect you kind of reaching that point where all the tires the engine blows up and you just kind of go off the rails. So I think that's a helpful way to kind of think through it rather than waiting till you get to that point. What are some proactive things that you can be putting into your daily um, rhythms in your daily life now? Judd, I'm so grateful for you being willing to share parts of your story with us. And there's several things you said I want to unpack about pace and wait. But even to stop here, it sounds like one of the first steps I'm hearing for pastors listening would be to even determine what are those flags for them, right? Like you talked about, there are a couple red flags or yellow flags. I think when I'm coaching leaders, like we all have a dashboard, but what those flags are look really different for each one of us. How do you keep a pulse on those things? What do those look like for you, Judd? Yeah, I think, um, well, my devotional time this morning, Psalm 119, this verse just jumped out at me so powerfully. And it, and it, was, it, it says, keep me from lying to myself. Mm. And I just stopped right there this morning and just kind of was like, I don't need to read anymore. <laughs> you know, I just, I need to just sit with this. And, and I did, you know, and just pray through things like bitterness, greed, uh, guilt, jealousy god you know keep me from lying to myself because i'm really good at self-deception <laughs> scary good you know at lying to myself and and you know so it's so these things are a challenge but i think that's a great prayer for every day for us that we would see these signs i make that a prayer that god will help me help me see those signs uh, my wife does not and doesn't hold truth back from me. And uh, so I will ask her, uh, you know, on a fairly regular basis. I also uh, have a dear friend in ministry for years in my life that I will ask on a, on a fairly regular basis, like, do you hear anything in our conversations? Is there anything coming out that I should, I just try to be aware and, and um, be uh, willing to be corrected or challenged. Uh, but I think my emotional state is a part of what I'm looking at. You know, I think anger for me, 
um, is uh, the Hebrew word for anger means hot nosed. You know, thank thank God, God is long nosed, right? But 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 I tend to be pretty hot nosed, and uh, so I, so the way God's Spirit has worked in my life over the years is to help me rein that in. But I know when I'm getting angry quickly, uh, that's a red flag. And uh, yeah, I feel like when when the weekends are rolling around, which is always my favorite time of the week as a pastor for me anyway, I, I just love it. And and I don't feel anything emotionally towards those kinds of uh, weekly rhythm experiences. And we all get tired and there are seasons where it's frustrating, but I feel like that those are red flags I, I'm looking at. Life change, when, when life change is going on and I can celebrate that and I'm, you know, it inspires me. Those are the things that point to my heart being in a better spot. Sure. Uh, you and I got to coach pastors together years ago. And that was one of the next steps I, I challenged each of them with was, what is that list of questions people should ask you, right? Because my list is really different. And there are some like really practical yellow flags on days that I'm almost out of gas and the battery on my phone is dying. I'm like, okay, I'm probably running too fast to do like basic things. I got to, you know, they, they can catch my attention a little bit. When is the last time I laughed or just experienced joy? Like I think for each of us to know what are those things for me personally, that's really helpful because I'm certainly capable of some great self-deception as well. All of us, right? Like that we're best at that. Um, give us a little bit, if you would, about that, how you determine the difference between pace and weight. So many of us are in yeah. this season even experiencing those differently. Yeah. Um, well, for me, one of the things that was so helpful was, you know, I think a lot of us carry wounds from ministry and from people in ministry. Uh, it could be from hurt related to certain volunteer or staff roles that we once engaged in, uh, all the way back to uh, promotions that we were overlooked for, to um, the feelings of betrayal from somebody who, you know, spoke against us. I mean, anybody who's been in leadership very long has had the restaurant moment where you walk in and somebody you've known for years that was so plugged into your church sees you, but then turns their back to you and doesn't want to talk to you. And it's devastating, you know, like, and, and I, know for, I know for me, like there, there are layers to that, but, but often in leadership, you have to make hard calls and sometimes they affect people. And most of us have some pull of a shepherd's heart. It's why we got into this. And so we didn't get into it to hurt people, but you know, now this guy won't even talk to me anymore. You know, like these kinds of tensions, all that to say, like, the weight of bitterness, I think, is one of the heaviest weights we carry in ministry. And one of the things when, when I came near to burnout, I think we can we will talk about a lot of the practical scheduling kinds of things and some really simple tools um, that I know we're going to share that will be helpful to people. But for me, what was really important was unpacking some heart issues that added to the weight I was carrying. So bitterness was part of it. <laughs> and a simple exercise that I did that I would encourage everybody to consider doing was to just stop and think about who are the people that have really hurt you in ministry, write down their names. Um, not, not people that have offended you or, I mean, the people that have really hurt you, uh, write down their names and go through a process. I did this. My counselor told me to do this. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, I'll write down their names. And I'm like, it's going to be a long list, bro. <laughs> you know, like, get ready. This is going to be a mile long. And I could only come up with like 10 people. 
And I was so bothered by that all week long. I was like, there's more. But I would think about people and be like, nah, they, they really didn't. I mean, they, you know, yeah, I was a fan. I got hurt, or fan, but not really. They didn't really uh, kind of hurt me in ministry. And so I was only like 10 or 12 people. And I, I went back the next week and I was sort of sheepish about my list because he wanted to see it. And I'm like, I'm sorry. It should be. I'm telling you, man, a lot of people have hurt me, bro. You know, <laughs> you know like, like this should be more. Uh, but he's like, this is actually what always happens. We think all these people have hurt us when the reality is it's usually just a handful. And then he made me go through each one of those people and uh, reach out if I needed to and have conversations with them, forgive and let that go. It was incredibly freeing. The most freeing thing was to realize I was carrying this weight. I was starting to not trust people. I was pulling my heart back. I wasn't leading with my heart anymore. I wasn't loving people freely. I was protecting myself. And God showed me through that the overwhelming majority of people that I've had the privilege of ministering to or with or beside have been in an unfair way good to me. Mm. And to sit with that and realize, like, don't let a few cloud your judgment towards everything and then to get the freedom. So I, I, there, you know, there are four key areas in my heart that I like prayed through this morning, for example, that I keep trying to journey through. Uh, bitterness is one. Jealousy is another. And, uh, you know, I'll often take steps in my life to celebrate other wins, other, th other things God's doing in other ministries or churches or authors or pastors to help push against jealousy, uh, guilt, uh, any sense of like guilt or shame that I'm carrying in my own life and just journeying that through with God. So it doesn't uh, add to the weight that I'm carrying and then greed. You know, I, I just think uh, more and more, I, I want to guard my heart to be generous as an individual and uh, to be generous in my leadership and to be generous as a, as a human being and a follower of Jesus. So those are kind of four areas that I've worked through in my own heart. If you can keep your heart, if you can get your heart right, I think everything else will kind of get right. If you can keep yourself free of all those entangled weights that we start to carry over years in ministry, then you can run further and farther without it taking the toll on you. Yeah. I love where that analogy continues. Like you can run faster when you're lighter, right? Like it, yeah. when you, you can sustain a healthy pace when you're not carrying some of those heavy things. Uh, Dr. Bevins, what would you add to that when you think about the pace? Yeah, yeah one question I, I would like to just hear, um, and I think you lightly touched on it, but is the significance of community you know, you mentioned a counselor, you mentioned your wife, having people that you can speak with the statistics show us that oftentimes the majority of pastors, one of the things that leads to burnout is the feeling of isolation. Mm -hmm. I think a couple of things that I'm hearing here is oftentimes we've, as we start to feel that way, we feel isolated when in fact, we actually do have people that we can confide in, but we don't. Um, it sounds like, you know, those relationships were key to help kind of pulling you back from the brink. I think a lot of times Christian leaders um, feel like they have no one to confide in. And one of the interesting things when I came to Asbury, and it's very normative here, and it was kind of a culture shock at first, but everybody goes to counseling and they're open about it. And it's, it's normal. Hey, you know, you're struggling with this. Have you thought about going to a counselor? It's probably because we have a counseling department and we have counseling programs and, and all of those things. But for pastors who are kind of out there on their own, they're in a community. Um, 
I'd love to hear your thoughts about the importance of having others to be able to share this with, to confess your struggles. And then talk to us a little bit of counseling, like um, maybe a pastor who's listening, it's like, man, you're, are you giving me permission and telling me this is something that I can actually do and still be normal and still be a Christian and still be a spiritual person? Yeah, that's that's great. Um, I, I think for me, uh, I'm a flourishing introvert. So some some pastors are extroverts and you know just get energy from being around people. <clears throat> what I find is most of us that have done ministry, you know, even if we started as more of an extroverted person, it gets beat out of us. <laughs> it's somewhere along the way, we all sort of become. I'm trying to survive, uh, flourish. Introverts, so I, I love people, but it's draining for me. So I don't have a massive network of friends and community and people. I have a lot of people I pastor and a staff that's around me, but it's a very small group of people that that I would say really make up the kind of community that we're discussing and, and talking about. And I, I bring that up to say all you all you really need are a few people. It doesn't have to be a thousand. You know, you just need a few people in your life that you um, that you can share honestly with. And for me, I would say uh, I, I did have an open relationship with my board, which is my accountability structure. I know that not everybody has that. I didn't have that in the early years of my ministry at Central. But after you've been somewhere 17, 18 years, you know, you're, you have a different relationship with that board. In my early years, there would have been a harder thing because I felt like we had a different kind of relationship. So I, you know, I can understand that tension, but I think for me, just uh, having, and I, I had a friend, um, you know, having one person in your life who will speak truth to you. Um, I remember talking to him in the midst of this uh, burnout season, near burnout season. And he, he told me straight up, he goes, I just, I didn't ask him for feedback. I didn't look for feedback. He just said, you don't sound like yourself anymore. He said, you, you, you're with a guy that loves ministry, even when nobody else does. You know, you're the guy that has joy, even when things are really hard. And he goes, for the first time, I'm talking to you and you're cynical. And I'm hearing a hard edge in your voice. And he's like, you, you need to, he was, that was that lunch conversation that caused me to look at all the other things I was going through and then go to our board of directors and then go to counseling. So that one relationship was absolutely key. I think, think for me, and um, it's hard to, it's hard to manufacture it, but the beautiful thing about technology is he doesn't live in my state. Uh, you know, these are, this is somebody I've known for half of my life. <laughs> you know, So you can reach back in your friendship network, faith network of people. And uh, it doesn't have to be somebody that lives down the, the block from you anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Oftentimes that is helpful to have someone that's not in your city or ministry context. Most of us who are pastors and leaders, some of my best friends, you know, my best friends in Ireland, you know, and we literally, through, because of FaceTime, are able to talk, pray for each other every single day. He's uh, the co-founder of the Missional Formation Coaching that we've established and now I do get jealous because he sends me pic, you know, pictures of the sea, you know, every day on his walks and castles and abbey ruins, and I'm like, just stop it! I'm in Kentucky, just stop it. 
but but having those relationships and like you said maybe maybe a leaders on on this call and they're thinking through like i don't have anyone in my local town but maybe it's a pastor maybe it's a friend from seminary that you can reach back into that file um, to find someone that you can confide in and to be able to share your innermost struggles that's kind of outside of your context is very helpful yeah it's important to also just point out that it, it, you need some people in your life that don't work for you that yep. aren't being pastored by you <laughs> that yeah. you're not responsible for uh, you, you, you need people in your life outside of that circle and um, yeah uh, as far as counseling one of the things that was super helpful to me and um, there's I'm sure many avenues that are that are like this I I went several years ago to uh, Blessings Ranch which I would just flag up as a great organization They're Mm-hmm. and um, did a week at Blessings Ranch with Dr. John Walker. And, you know, that was life transformational for me. And, you know, I have several moments where I feel like Dr. Walker has helped put me back together. And there are, there are probably a dozen or more people that really specialize in pastors and leaders around the country uh, doing counseling. So, we have a big enough footprint in Las Vegas, and we are one of the largest supporters of our local Christian counseling ministry in the city that I just didn't want to go marching. I have taken some family there, and I'm a huge supporter, but I don't want to go marching in myself and talk to this person that I love to death, but used to be on our staff. And, you know, like, so I've gotten a lot of benefit from just doing Skype kinds of counseling and phone counseling with someone uh, like that. That's good. So regular connection with community is one of the things that we're hearing are part of your healthy rhythm schedule, uh, counseling as needed and staying engaged with that sort of outside perspective, someone beyond your context that's not necessarily benefiting from your health and leadership, huge um, part of your rhythms. What else would you add to that, Judd, that you have just created to create to make sustainable rhythms? Um, I just a few things that have been helpful. You know, I, I think leaning into your spiritual pathway, Gary Thomas's kind of old, almost classic book, uh, Sacred Pathways, is very helpful. And knowing like how you feel connected to God, whether it's worship or nature or, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, I have an intellectual pathway. So, you know, just understanding your sort of connection to God and then managing that in your life. So, um, so in my life, I'm always reading. I always have a book. And uh, I feel like that's an important sign of health for me. Learning new things about really anything is a spiritual experience for me. Learning new things about God is an even greater spiritual experience for me. Um, this is so basic, but I didn't do it for years in ministry. Um, I start my day every single day with the Bible and with God. And, you know, it sounds so silly. Like, of course you do. Duh, you're a pastor. We're all supposed to do our quiet time. I didn't do my quiet time like that for decades. You know, I just lost it in the midst of it all. I I had a relationship with God, but I didn't prioritize it that way. So I had a real simple spiritual. Everybody's got to find what works for them. But 6 a.m. every morning, guys. So 6 a.m. every morning um, or 6.30 this morning because I couldn't roll out of bed. But anyway. You know, I'm downstairs, I make coffee, and I do a psalm a day. Unless you're in Psalm 119, which is a mile long, and you just do a little section of it a day. Right, one verse a day. 
today. I, but I just do a psalm a day and just cycle back through the psalms. And uh, now I've done them enough that I get the psalms that I don't like and I just skip it and go to the next one. But anyway, <laughs> that's kind of, I pray through it and sit with it. And that simple practice has been so important for me, I think, especially through the pandemic and managing in a crisis. And I just feel like, you know, as much as we all know that, it doesn't matter if we know it. It only matters if you do it. Are you doing it? And if you do it consistently, it will make a difference. I have a hobby. I think that's very important. Um, I love jazz guitar and jazz music and have for 15 years. And so, um, you know, I'm a student of jazz and I play my guitar probably every day. Uh, try to get a half hour to an hour in, sometimes more. Love to go to jazz concerts with six other people because it's a dying art form. And, uh, you know, that's um, it's important to have something outside of ministry and ministry related things and even quote unquote spiritual things. Although I, I tend to think improv and jazz is incredibly spiritual. Uh, you know, that's that's been a lifeline for me. Um, and those are some kind of things that I'm doing in my life. Uh, I, you know, we in the most busy seasons for us, we would practically just color code our calendar and we would plan out like, all right, so the goal is for me to be home more nights a week than I'm gone. You know, simple things, right? And we're going to, we're going to look out, Lori and I, and we're going to say, you know, if I'm going to be home more than I'm gone, these are the nights I'm already out with church scheduled events. And then, you know, on top of that, in a month, it's actually surprising when you look at all the church scheduled events you have. You know, for a lot of us, we'd look at our calendar and go, okay, so if I'm going to be home four nights out of seven, most weeks, uh, that's going to mean that I can do, I think at one point for us, we were like, we can do four things this month outside of what's already scheduled. Now think about how small that is. And that's everything. We want to go out with friends for dinner. That's one. You know, we want to go to coffee. That's two. But understanding that from a scheduling standpoint was huge for us. Mm -hmm. And people would say, we want to get together. Absolutely. We want to get together. We can't do it this month. <laughs> we can do it next month. But it was a proactive thing. You know, and you know, I know it seems sometimes people may look at you like, are you arrogant? Like, what do you mean? We would just say like, it's just the way it is. We're sorry. You know, like. Yeah, we've got um, some questions coming in through the chat that I want to get to, Judd, and to anyone else who's joining us, feel free to put your questions in the chat. Um, one of the ones I want to ask you to speak to goes along with that scheduling piece, and it's just finish lines. You know, when you're carrying a lot of weight or running fast for a ministry season, how do you establish finish lines for yourself? What does that, other than just nights out on the week, how is your schedule impacted by healthy rhythms? Well, I think uh, you know, downtime is really important. I, I, most leaders depend, tend to be kind of all in when we're in and to give yourself sort of the permission to pull out as much as practical when you can. Um, and so I've got a couple, some, you know, I've got uh, in the summer, uh, you know, a down window when I do that. And after Christmas is another kind of window when I do that. Uh, the week before the week of Easter, or after, depending on how it falls, is a week when, when I try to do that, and usually around Thanksgiving. So I probably have four chunks in a, in a typical year where I'm, I'm going to sprint hard up to it, and then I'm going to like decompress a little bit, uh, usually on the other side of it. But with Easter, the way our spring break falls, it's usually the week before for us. So yeah. I've got to get everything sort of lined up where I can like decompress, 
while the rest of the team is running mad the week before Easter, I'm like ducking and trying to take a breath. Don't tell them. Shh. But oh. it's so good. It's that same re- uh, proactive instead of reactive. Like I remember years in a row running through a, a run at Willow, nine Easter services. I'd get to the end of it and I would be sick every time. And so then we were like, well, what would it look like to take a breather beforehand and actually recharge and go into that energized instead of exhausted? So it, it's brilliant what you're saying. It flies in the face of some of the traditional things that we look at, but with intentionality, like why not reimagine what that needs to look like for sustainability? and long-term impact one thing that's helpful too is just we're 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 all managing reality but in ministry we're also managing perceptions and whether we like it or not we have to manage perceptions so uh you can unplug more than you realize if you need to um in different seasons just make sure you're present and visible when it matters most so what I mean by that is, you know, I can unplug for a few days during the week if I'm just exhausted, tired, worn out. But uh, if a key weekend's coming along or if we're in crisis leadership like we've been in the last nine months, when the weekend comes, you better believe I'm out. You're going to see me talking to people, high elbowing in our case, wearing masks. But, you know, like I'm visible. You know, you'll see me everywhere. That doesn't mean I'm doing everything. It just means I'm managing the perception. And perceptions are important because for people, perceptions are reality. Sure. So <clears throat> a lot of leaders that I talked to in the early days, I remember like six weeks in, one guy's like, yeah, I'm pre-recorded all my messages and I'm just not even gonna worry about things into the shutdown with COVID. And I'm like, what are you doing? You gotta manage this reality and you have to manage this perception and it can't be that you're not at the wheel, <laughs> not when the wheels are coming off, you know, you know so. Yes, yes. Uh, one of the questions someone sent in here is just what advice would you have for discerning healthy boundaries while our capacity for the various types of ministry is shifting right now? So just to that point, when we don't even know what our capacity is, what do you do to say sustain sort of a long-term crisis management approach and stay healthy in the midst of that? Well, I, I think it's important to have these conversations if you can with, uh, if you're on a staff with other team members that maybe are supervising you, uh, and you don't have to go in with an agenda, but I think you can just have the conversation because I, I think that would be welcomed in a neutral way. Like, like what, you know, how, how do we navigate this? And you know, how do we navigate burnout? We, these are things that we talk about fairly often at a staff level, but the truth is, um, I've navigated three or four major crises in my ministry years, and I see the same cycle every time, which is as much as we try not to, a lot of people are burned out right now. And a lot of people will come to the end of their ministry cycle in the next year. I think we're about to see a massive move in the secular workforce, but even more so in the church. And uh, I think I think probably some of that's just unavoidable. I, I, or maybe it's avoidable, but I don't know how to avoid it, even on our own team. Sure. You know, because people just go like, wow, we've run so, you know, so hard. And when you're in a war with, feels like kind of emotional bombs going off and everything's 911, it's, it's hard to not be in that. And then your job changes, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of us are doing things now that we, I, I became a full food service distribution manager. We, we run the largest food distribution in the state of Nevada. I became a food bank guy. 
That, that was not my goal, right? And I remember the first months, you know, because I wanted to be a leader out with volunteers. All I did was like sling food into the back of cars all day. And I would go home thankful mm-hmm. I got to do it. And so discouraged. I felt like I was outside of what I was born to do, you know, like, but a lot of us feel that way still in church staff scenarios. So um, all that to say, this is complicated and layered. Here's what I would say. Mm-hmm. People who are wanting to quit right now are starting to think about, uh, I, I know of one pastor that I love very much who resigned last week. Mm-hmm. And right now I'm, I'm prayerful and pushing him hard to not make any decision for 12 months. Stop. Like you're not in an emotional space right now to make a decision. Just wait for a year and see where we're at. And then I'm so I'll support you either way, but then make the decision because I think right now is not, it's just important for us to realize we're not in the best headspace for big life decisions. Um, so I forgot where I was going with all that. I'm sure it was really good, but. This is really good. Go ahead, Dr. Bevins. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you really hit a great point there that you never make a major life decision in the midst of a crisis um, because you you don't know what reality is um, and you're not making a decision based on, you know, kind of deep understanding. And so I think that's great wisdom for leaders right now that are saying, man, I'm, I'm done. I'm I'm you know, I, I, I can't make it anymore. I think reach out, get help, slow down. One, one, of the, one of the interesting things with burnout is as people press into burnout, they, they tend to work harder. And one of the key things is to stop, to pause, to allow space to reflect. And again, I think leaders oftentimes make these decisions without actually giving themselves the lead time to reflect deeply on on that decision when they decide to leave ministry. So I think finding time to pause in their daily life, um, you know, and throughout the day, I think is really important, the power of pause. N.T. Wright said it um, uh, a few years ago, and I love this this quote, and I actually have it written down on my desk. It says, slow down to catch up with God. You know, if we think of the life of and ministry of Jesus, you know, who performed all these miracles, he walked on foot everywhere that he went. And I think in the midst of the season, the pandemic is causing a lot of leaders. We don't know what to do because we're in some ways are forced to slow down and we feel the need to be responsive and reactive to everything. When in fact, I think the Lord wants us to to be reflective rather than reactive. And I think if we allow ourselves the permission, and I think back to the idea of counseling, um, you know, I think one of the things I would just encourage leaders who are maybe experiencing these things, I think we want to give you permission to slow down. Oftentimes we, we tell other people this, you know, pastors are the best at telling other people they need Sabbath, they need rest, but we never take that for ourselves. And sometimes we need other leaders to give us permission. I remember a number of years ago, I was at a talk and, and a pastor, you know, speaking at a conference said, listen, I want to give you all the permission to rest. You know, I, as, as a spiritual leader, I just want to encourage you in that. And maybe that's what some leaders need today is just the permission in the midst of all the craziness, in the midst of kind of feeling like the wheels are getting run off the, uh, off the hinges of, of our automobiles that 
guess you can stop, you can rest and reflect, allow God to restore and renew your soul in the midst of all of this. Winfield, I'm so greatly grateful that you said that. And I just very personally, when I navigated my own sort of dark night of the soul season, I realized like that was my go-to sort of trauma response was I'm going to overwork, I'm going to overcommit. And then I don't have to think about those things I don't want to think about. And I didn't know that cognitively at the time, but that was one of the reasons I ran so hard and so fast was because I could avoid what was going to be there when I slowed down. Give us some practical, everyone who's feeling that tension right now of the slowdown, how do we rest and how do we wade our way through being reflective and not reactive right now in these moments? You know, the added challenges of all of this, you know, we've kind of highlighted on this throughout this session is we're on Zoom right now. I mean, you know, we're constantly plugged into our phones or screens, we're Zooming all these meetings, we're working, you know, I think all of us are actually in our homes at the moment, you know, who are on on the Zoom call. Um, It's so hard now, there's this blurring of lines of separation and boundaries and, you know, I think I said it in the last session, leaders right now, every every church is a church plant. It doesn't matter how old your church was, every church is at ground zero right now. We don't know who the actual attendants are. We don't know who's, you know, we are literally, uh, we don't have a roadmap for this. And so the other reality is whatever rhythms you had last year um, or, or the rhythms that sustained you over the last several years, it's completely gone. And so I would encourage everyone to kind of reflect on, give yourself permission to stop and reflect on where you are right now in terms of reality. Um, I call it the power of pause, to stop, to rest. Jesus did this stuff. If you look at in between the miracle stories throughout the gospels, there are these great little one-liners where it says, and then Jesus went to the deserted place And then, of course, his disciples are looking for him, saying, Jesus, where are you? But Jesus paused. Jesus stopped in the midst of all the busyness. I love Mark 6, where, you know, the disciples come and they say, Jesus, we did all this. And Jesus says, get in the boat with me. We're going to go to a deserted place and rest. And it says there was so much going on, they didn't even have time to feed. And so I think giving yourself as a leader, because as leaders, oftentimes people are looking for us for permission giving ourselves the permission to stop and to rest and to get our lives right. And so I would encourage everyone to find new rhythms. What are new healthy rhythms in the middle of this? Stop, um, find time to pause throughout the day. As Judd mentioned, start your day in Psalms and prayer. Oftentimes we uh, theoretically think we're doing this. We're preparing. If If you're only Bible reading is preparing for a sermon, you're not reading the Bible. You're not feeding from the word. Uh, C.S. Lewis, um, you know, in his intro to the book of Psalms, and I love, get in the book of Psalms. That's another practice that, you know, we can all do. But in his introduction to the book of Psalms, C.S. Lewis said, we can't always be defending the truth. We have to feed on the truth. And I think that right now is the time to feed um, on God's word. And so finding time throughout the day to pause. Uh, one, one of the practices I've done with our family is, again, we're homeschooling, we're all, you know, working, I'm Zooming, three o'clock every day. Is the thing I'm going to do today, as soon as we get off this call, that I do every day at three, sometimes it's 3.30, it is tea time with my family. I just pause, I turn off everything, and I have tea, 
cookies, whatever's in the house. Maybe it's just tea. And we, you know, we sit down, we have tea together, and then I'll work for, you know, the next few hours. And so finding these little pauses throughout the day, that it doesn't have to be this big retreat that you get away for a couple of weeks, finding little mini retreats throughout the day, I think is important. Yeah. The other thing that um, Judd touched on, again, the power of community, I think um, we cannot um, uh, overemphasize that in the midst of everything that's going. Find someone outside of, you know, have those healthy relationships with your, your leaders in your church. The reality is many, many church leaders don't feel comfortable sharing the innermost um, secrets of their soul. Find leaders, find people, and even if it's a counselor, it's okay. And I think that's what I appreciate about the honesty of Judd's story today is it is okay to get counseling. Get whatever help you need today. And I think that's where I would really encourage. Um, and then the last thing I'll share along that note is one of the things that has sustained me throughout um, this pandemic is I'm a part of a discipleship band. And, you know, part of part of my study has been in looking at um, the early kind of Methodist discipleship structures. And we often focus on the class meeting, which is kind of the typical small group. But Wesley's favorite discipleship group was called the band meeting. And this is a group of three to five people. Um, they were same gender. They were small enough to be anywhere, anytime, any place. And there were literally just two or three questions that they asked each other each week. And it was a place of just deep, deep discipleship. And so in our band, we've contextualized those questions for today. You know, these are 300, this is a 300 year old kind of practice. And so the first question that Wesley, they would ask is, how is it with your soul? So imagine if you gathered together with three to five people every single week and someone asked that question of you, how is it with your soul? Secondly, what are you struggling with? Soul struggles. Thirdly, sin. Is there sin in your life? Now, that's a hard one right there. Uh, you, know, what do you, you know, what are some sins that you've struggled with this week and how did you overcome Thirdly, um, or fourthly, is secret. Are there things that, that, are there secrets that you're really keeping from the group? And then the last one is the spirit. What is the spirit doing? What do you sense the spirit doing in your life or leading you to? So those are five core questions that our, our discipleship band asks every week. There's some weeks that I have been, you know, <laughs> I've not wanted to go into that meeting because those questions are really hard, but that meeting has saved, um, has really saved me and preserved me over the last three to four years. And so when COVID hit, we have not missed a single week. Our discipleship band meeting has continued on, but I think uh, I'll end with this. Having someone who can ask the question of you, how is it with your soul is so, so important. Yeah. We talked about the isolation that so many leaders feel right now. And I have just seen time and time again, when we keep those things in the shadows, like they can grow big and scary. And when we drag them into the light in community, in front of other people, we can actually size them up. And usually they're nowhere near as scary as they look lurking in the shadows, but finding people you can do that with in community. It's a, it's a challenge for sure for pastors, but such good wisdom there. Winfield, I know um, towards the end of our time, we're actually going to equip all of 
of our listeners with a practice for this week again. Before we do that, though, Judd, I just want to revisit with you. Um, I know you have experience leading through crisis before, even in your city, before any of us, you know, we have said there was no class in seminary about how to lead through a pandemic, but you have certainly um, taken a crash course in crisis leadership. Anything that you would share with us on obstacles that you have discovered towards leading into healthy rhythms or even more from your current rhythms of sustainability or even how you're leading your teams right now? I know you have a tremendous, it's really large team and you're connected with pastors all over. How are you leading others towards sustainable leadership right now? I feel like when the crisis hits, you know, we, we usually become reactionary and um, we're just responding, which is a very manic. It, it's actually a, one of our greatest mistakes. Uh, and we need precision, not manicness when you're responding in a, in a crisis. And so a simple tool that uh, I think has helped us. And if, if leaders are leading in ministries and churches that still haven't sort of clarify these things. It can be a simple tool. Um, in the business world, it's just kind of known as the ICE tool. We, we sort of modify it for our, our own use. And it just asks like kind of three questions. First thing we do in a crisis, we get every, I get all my best leaders in a room and we brainstorm uh, how we need to respond. What does our city need? What are we good at? What, where do those two things come together? And ICE helps us. ICE asks, I is for impact. What of all these ideas would have the greatest impact? And then C is for cost, but um, you know we shift that a little bit, cost and confidence. How confident are we we could actually do whatever these ideas are? And then uh, E is for effort. How much effort is this gonna take? And we also sort of add this idea of excellence. Can we do this with excellence? And the reason I bring all that, that through is the reason I bring all that up is I feel like in a confidence in, in, a, in a crisis, it's, it's important to quickly narrow in on these are the two or three ways we're going to respond. Hmm. And that's what we've been doing for nine months. You know, we, we sort of narrowed our ministry down to three things. We do the weekend, either online or live as time's gone on. Right. We yeah. do uh, food work where the, you know, that's a lane we were already in. A crisis does not create a new organization. It actually reveals who the organization really is. Yeah. And a crisis doesn't sort of recreate leaders necessarily. I think the pressure actually reveals who you already are <laughs> and the culture you already have. So there are lessons to learn as we look back. Some of us are going to look back and say, wow, COVID revealed we were toxic and sick and we just didn't know it yeah. and i don't think covid caused that toxicness necessarily and that sickness i think we got to realize it was probably there already if that's what emerges anyway um and so and then the third thing we did was 24 hour you know having a 24 hour uh, way to text contact and to serve the needs of our city so we narrowed in on three things and we brought focus and that's what i think is most important in a pandemic if you don't know the three things that you need to do as an organization or the three things in your role that are most important to your supervisor, uh, you know, like then you're kind of flying blind and they've changed in a crisis. So it's up to you to not wait for those. Go seek that information out. Go ask, hey, what, what, what do you need me to be working on right now? What are the top three priorities that you feel like I need to be so that you have a framework to pause 
and to say, this is, these are the things I have to do. These are the things, you know, that I can let go for now. Yeah, totally. Judd, we have one more question in the chat. I think we might have time for, um, someone is asking, you mentioned needing 18 months or so to sort of get into a better place of health after your near burnout experience. How did you know that those boundaries and new rhythms you put in place were working? Were there like early returns, early signs of life? How did you know with that prolonged time that you were on the right track? Uh, Honestly, I was scared. I was scared. Uh, I would, my wife would tell you, like, I, I was going through the motions, but I was wondering if I would ever kind of be back to there again. So uh, I don't know that I saw a lot of emotional progress, but I, I did have a sense that I had shut down enough things in my life. I had probably shut down 20 or 30% of my activity. Um, for two years, I didn't travel for two years. I never spoke anywhere outside of my hometown for two years. I did no outside projects. I, you know, I focused in on the things that, that I was supposed to do at central and as a pastor, cause that's my primary calling. And, you know, those were the things I did and nothing else, but I still lived with a lot of fear. I think over those couple years, because it's, it is scary when you know, you're not right. And you don't know. And, and your counselor and others are telling you stay the course, but you don't necessarily feel. And I know feelings can be liars and feelings aren't facts, but let's be real. You know, when you're hurting and you're down, feelings are hard to get around. It's hard to navigate around that. You can tell yourself, look, just stay the course. I'm just going to, and that's what I did. I surrendered to the wisdom around me. People like Dr. Bevins and others who have expertise and experience, and I did what they told me to do. No questions asked. I was that, but I went into it that I think there's a place where you have to get legitimately scared, scared enough to be honest, scared, scared enough. I watched that a friend of mine come up to me a while back and he goes, you know, 12 years ago, I went to a conference and these were all the speakers and he listed off all the speakers. And he said, you're the only one that's still in ministry. And I remember when all those people were falling like flies yeah. That was exactly when I was starting to burn out as well. Their fall scared me about my own state and helped me take steps, you know, that, so you got to be scared enough to, to deal with it. And I just trusted the roadmap laid out for me and believed it would one day work, but I didn't know. Yeah. It's so sobering to hear about. And I think, again, an invitation for all of us. I am really grateful for your vulnerability to be able to go there and let us learn from some of those lessons that I know were hard fought for you, but um, certainly invitational for all of us. One of the things that you said was just how illuminating these moments are. And I know um, as we gather biweekly over the course of these six episodes, we want to equip those of you joining us for this conversation with real, actual, practical tools that you can begin to incorporate um, right now in your life. And last week, we our last session, we talked about the daily examine. And Dr. Bevins is going to tee up uh, the idea of silence and solitude. And I, I think that can be an illuminating experience for each of us as a practice to take time in um, silence and solitude. Dr. Bevins, give us that sort of equipping tool that we can take this week. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, again, hopefully many of you aren't to that point where you're actually at the literal point of burnout. But I, I do see in this pandemic, um, you know, it's a term that I've been using is disruptive grace. It's a season 
where all of our rhythms have been disrupted. And in reality, for many leaders, um, we've had dysfunctional rhythms, maybe, and patterns. And, you know, this has revealed fault lines. And in, in many ways, it's a gift of a season to be able to slow down, stop, and reflect. And one of the biggest contributing factors for spiritual burnout, for Christians, non doesn't matter what type of lead, leader you are, is lack of rest. And I think that's where we would want to kind of bring you all to. Um, this week, we um, came out with a, an article that's on Exponential. We'll, we'll share this again. But it's an invitation to come and rest. Jesus invites us um, to pause, to slow down, and to have a Sabbath. And what I want to encourage you to do is don't wait for a retreat at the Abbey. All the Abbeys are closed. <laughs> I was going to I was gonna have a spiritual retreat this year. I was going to be in England doing a pilgrimage. Um, but you can have a pilgrimage right now, right where you are. And so I think what we want to kind of put before you today as a practice is to find time to pause each day. Um, don't kind of put it off to something you're going to do in the weekend or on a Saturday. Or what are what what is the time? Maybe it's now. Maybe it's as soon as we get off, where you can stop and um, create space in your daily life to just pause to pray for Sabbath, for solitude and silence, and to rest in the Lord's presence. And it's as simple as saying, maybe you start with five minutes. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's this afternoon where you just stop, you go get in a room by yourself, you get alone with God, you just invite the Lord to just come, you say, come Holy Spirit, and you sit in the Lord's, don't do anything. This is, you know, we're so, we're all so busy, we're all so reactive. This is an invitation to stop and to do absolutely nothing but sit in the presence of God and allow the Lord to renew you. So we want to invite you to do that today. We'll be um, providing you with some resources. There's an article that'll kind of help give you a framework for that. But we want to encourage you today just to stop and to let the Lord renew and to restore you today in the presence of the Lord. So good. All of you joining us, we will send that tool resource out to you. Judd, thank you so much. Any just final encouragement, anything else you'd want to say to those joining us today? I just, uh, you know, we love you is what I would say. Leadership's hard, but but don't give up. We're all struggling right now. And I think when you do that pause, you'll realize you've been through trauma and we still haven't really had time to process that trauma. And that's okay. But what Dr. Evans just said is the key to all of it. Get with the Lord and let the Lord restore your soul. And, uh, you know, we're all walking uphill right now. The, it's a, the air's a little thin. We don't know what's coming, but just keep going, you know, and let's support one another uh, as we do it. I know that we're all in, in the corner of all of our listeners. We love people in ministry. We love we love leaders. We're all messes, but we're gods. And, uh, and he's using you more than you know. Don't give up. Just one foot in front of the other, one day at a time. And if you don't feel the joy right now, I promise you, stay in it. I, I love ministry more right now than I ever have in my life. I'm so glad I pushed through that season. Mm -hmm. I came so close to giving up. And most weekends, not all, but most weekends, I, I, I say, you know, what a privilege it is to serve the Lord. And, uh, you know, so, I, I'm, so that day can come again for you, uh, even if you don't really feel it right now. Believe it, hang on to it. Yeah. 
Amen. We're here uh, over the next, we have four more episodes for all of you to join us as we continue to practically talk about what the season is like, the challenges of it, and what it looks like to thrive on the other side of it. I want to also just let you know about a fantastic opportunity for those of you joining us. We can actually partner with Exponential this spring. We're going to be hosting Exponential Roundtable events. If you are interested in joining us for one of these, if you want to help gather people from your city or your church or your tribe, the sake of catalyzing multiplication. You can find out more information at multiplication.org slash host. We are in this together. We are in this with you. We're praying for you and we can't wait to see you uh, for episode three soon.